boy. Welcome inside the Crazy Ant Farm, man. How are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I oh, really thank you so much for coming on. We are so excited to talk to you. You have the, the distinction of being our first editor. We talk to a lot of different people in a lot of different genres in the industry, but uh, you are the first editor, and so we are super pumped to talk to you because... A lot of people who might not be too familiar with how the industry works, uh, you you can make or break a film or a television show. <laughs> so. we, we tend to um, be more responsible for breaking it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, boy. It, it's always nice when people think like, oh, my gosh, the, uh, the editor did such a fantastic job. But it's like, you know um, – with most departments on a movie, that's you're you're paid to show up and do it right. Exactly. You're the oh, yeah. Production designer. So uh, all the opportunities are there to um, really hang yourself. So <laughs> I'm glad when it all comes together. And certainly, you know, the the more um, times you get to do the job, the better you sort of get at refining that skill set. And it is a skill set. It's a problem solving skill set. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, okay. So now it, 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 we have to know. So was editing in the industry something that you had always seen yourself doing or how did you fall into the industry? Was it something that you knew from the get go you wanted to do? No, it was. In fact, it was the exact opposite in a weird <laughs> way. Um, you know, I, I'm a child of the 80s. That, yes. you know, grew up watching those sort of like, <laughs> you know, uh, Raiders, Star Wars, Beverly Hills Cop yes, type sir. movies. But they weren't really anything that I ever thought that I could participate in. I'm from a place called Oklahoma, which is in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> uh, but they have um, a lot of sports down there. So for me, um, I was able to get into broadcast journalism. The big thing was when I even entertained the idea of working in film, there's no film labs in Oklahoma. Mm, so we right. couldn't process film dailies. There, w- there was no discussion about how film even worked. There was certainly photography. And I'm sure things have changed now. But I remember my first year of college when I took a film class, if you wanted to have your film processed, you had to send your film in with the football teams um, daily because football would record their stuff. This is, again, in the 80s. There's no video cameras that are sort of at a consumer level that are affordable. But film on high eight or uh, eight millimeter was something that you could shoot for game film. Mm. So high schools across the state, as well as the two large universities, needed to have their film processed. And so there was a place that you could then, if you were of the creative sort of set, you could throw your batch in there and hopefully it would come back without people running some wishbone option. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Like, oh, that's actually, that was mine. Uh, right. That's um, amazing, dude. That I, I love that story. You know, because now I think people are so like, now they have these little machines. You can run the film strip through the machine. It converts it to digital and you're just good to go, right? Like back in the day, Hence the word dailies. I don't even think that a lot of people now in, the, in the, you know, coming up in a, the younger generations even understand that you had to mail the film off, get the dailies and have it come back to watch. Right now you just press, oh, let's play back and see what it looks like, you know. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot more immediate feedback and the, the sort of price point of the capture medium, whether it's an iPhone, mm-hmm. has gotten so cheap that you can have four cameras on set. Absolutely. That didn't, you know um, – So taking that step back, for me, if I wanted to see something immediately, you had to go into broadcast because at least we could record something on tape. Right. And a tape medium, you could rewind Mm -hmm. and you could start working with it immediately. And so I was like, oh, okay. You know, I I was somebody who 
wanted to sort of have that sort of immediate feedback. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I got into broadcast journalism just because we could shoot something on a camera That's and it. you could edit it that night. That didn't exist even at the highest level of Hollywood filmmaking to shoot something and edit it on the same day was unheard of in the 80s and well through much of the 90s. Right. And so I learned how to do tape editing. The problem with tape editing, and I don't know if you guys had this um, experience, is that it's very linear Mm. versus film. So you had to go shot one, two, three, and four. And if you wanted to change shot two, it wasn't a simple process. It was not. Same way with film, you can pull a shot out in film. You can cut it and pull it out. And digital, you can cut it and pull it out. Tape, you had to find something that was the exact same length to cut over it. That's right. Or you started from the beginning. <laughs> oh, Let yeah. me tell you, you learned how to paper edit really quickly there. And it helped It, it helped my mindset um, as far as like, okay, you better pre-visualize how instead of just jumping in, you've got to pre-visualize in your mind how you want to edit something. And then the part two of that equation was, is um, I got into sports editing Mm -hmm. because sports was so ubiquitous and you learn something very valuable there that they kind of teach you at film school, which is stage line. Don't Mm -hmm. jump the line. Don't jump the line. I didn't understand what that meant other than you in baseball or say boxing Mm -hmm. or even basketball. And when you're editing something, I would, I cut a reel one time where Shaq's scoring on the left side of the screen and then he's scoring on the right side of the screen, which is jumping the line. It's like, no, no, no. When the quarter changed, you have to have the camera straight. Shaq was a rookie when I was in college Mm -hmm. working at a TV station. And so you would cut these highlight reels. And I thought I had done an amazing job editing. Look at this guy doing something. And I had the news director come down and say, you messed up. (laughs) We lost the game. Oh, shit. You didn't tell the story. That's so now right. you're learning story and th- like stuff that you would learn, you know, what story is. It's like, no, each night you would get a new story. Who won the game? It doesn't care who had the coolest shot. And so you would have to learn like, oh, yeah, something that was less elegant or less cinematic because it didn't look as cool. That game winning sort of free throw mm. that told the story better. And so those were the things that helped me. And so when I came to L.A., um, the Lakers were not good. The Dodgers <laughs> were non-existent. And someone said, hey, you actually have a skill set. Have you considered movies? Mm. And I was like, no. Nah. And so I got a job giving that tour at Universal Studios because I had no film school knowledge. I there didn't you go. know the classics. I didn't know any of this stuff. But I got a job just giving the tour at Universal. Over here is a shark that's going to jump up and scare you. That thing that we sort of saw in movies. I was fortunate enough to get that. And that gave me a little bit of film history. Right. And then there was this marvelous time of the video store. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, you can go into this video store and rent some of the coolest, most cutting edge. And everybody, the, the people in their 20s and 30s in Los Angeles were talking about these cool movies that you were not going to see in Oklahoma. You were not going to see right. in right. Arkansas. But here they're like, dude, have you seen this foreign film? It's like, no, where would I see that? Like, Go to the video store. <laughs> and today, like, that doesn't exist anymore. You got no. net, you got these streamers. Yeah. And if you know to hunt for it, maybe. But right. I I was I was so fortunate to have all these resources that just so I, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because we've uh, we've had Danny Strong on the show a few times, and he talks about 
he came up in the video stores. He he literally met Quentin Tarantino at a video store that Quentin was working at, and they developed a relationship. And now they're two legends in the industry. But yeah, the the, the video store was like a huge part of it back in the day, man. It was it was a library exactly yeah. <laughs> that was run by the weirdest group of people the guys who worked in there oh yeah were the hollywood weirdos right the weirdest stuff but man the dna that they passed on oh, oh for my sure. goodness right and so it's like some cool stuff came out then and i just happened to i just happened to fall into that sort of pond of just primordial film goo right there, there'd already been enough stuff built in the 50s all the way through the 80s yeah and you can see what happened in the that sort of you know post 92 to 2000 right sure. people were taking swings and getting seen for it yeah so yeah most definitely yeah i uh well dude just you your excitement about the industry got really got me excited <laughs> like i'm so happy and excited to talk to you but um I feel like I haven't felt this feeling since I went to we went to the Academy Museum out in Los Angeles yeah. and I was feeling the same feeling but your level of excitement and your level of knowledge like it got me ready to go cuz we are filmmakers ourselves we use the podcast as a uh, like a platform to connect with individuals like you and to help up and comers try to break into the entertainment industry so that's kind of why we started the whole thing but like I just feel like you know to be able to you think about all of these different aspects when it comes to filmmaking, especially editing, because we edit the podcast. So to talk about like converting film to digital and how you would do it, especially film editing and tape editing and all that different stuff, that's so fascinating to me because right now, all I've ever known, as I'm sure you can tell, I am a young individual <laughs> and I have only known like digital editing with Adobe Premiere. And um, so that, but I am absolutely fascinated by all the knowledge you have, especially you went through that transition from did or from film to digital so what was that like in the sense was what was everybody's reaction to it were they excited about this new endeavor or were they kind of like you know reserved about it it, uh, it, it that's a very good question and certainly i like to um maintain that sort of positivity because it is a fun and right now even more exciting industry than when i started but there was a moment when I first started working as a PA and because, you know, you got to you at some point you got a PA. Right. Sure, absolutely. Sure. I, and I was in a cutting room and I almost bailed on editing because of the film nature. It was it was dirty. It was heavy. Mm -hmm. Like you would physically have to lift film. And yeah, shit. It was it was, and it was a chemicals that was all over it. And I saw these books on digital, on um, essentially the manual. Yeah. Avid would, was trying to get people to embrace Avid. Mm -hmm. They would give you these manuals in the cutting rooms. And there was a lot of crossover where, okay, we're still cutting on film, but right. we're gonna try to put these digital machines in there. Mm -hmm. But here was the deal, the Editors Guild at one point, and a lot of the editors, they wanted to split into two divisions. Mm -hmm. And one was going to be the film editors, which were the prestigious people. And then all the digital people were going to be this other arena. Interesting. And it was it was certainly a short-lived conversation. <laughs> yeah. But I think that happens all the time 
with technology. And we're seeing it right now, quite frankly, with AI. Mm -hmm. People are very scared about how this is going to impact jobs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Certainly with um, chat GPT and Mm -hmm. things like that, where how is this going to impact us anytime a new machinery comes in that can sort of make things more efficient at the workplace? That can certainly be spooky to people. And it's something that has not gone away. So it was not readily embraced by the people who were Hey, I've I've built I've spent a lot of time and I've invested a lot of time learning this technique of film editing and this purity of film editing, but ultimately, other than a few you know select individuals who really get that opportunity to continue working in film mediums, mm-hmm. it's it's it was not it was not a wise thing to ignore digital. And mm-hmm. in fact, after once people saw that editing could it once people saw editing can be done digital, guess what? The cameras went digital. Oh, Hell for yeah. sure. Yeah. And let me tell you, there was even more resistance to that. Like, <laughs> it, it, these are called films for a reason. Right. You have to shoot them on film. That's right. That Sorry, that's not when uh, it's only getting better and better and better looking, these cameras. And right. we're still using the same Ari lenses and mm-hmm. the, um, the same sort of scope. Mm-hmm features but now you really have to say digital is so important to the process mm. and so i was fortunate i i said listen i'm, I'm not going to be a luddite about this i really was like i better go get on set right i'll carry cables if i'm gonna have to carry heavy film canisters they, they were the worst designed i don't oh, know if you've yeah. ever carried a film canisters yeah. they would cut into your hand they yeah. sure would uh, yeah yeah it's like this is miserable <laughs> and this is absurd to think about. Sound was on a different medium. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. If you if you said, hey, you want to go back to this other way of doing something where we're going to have the sound over here and it's going to travel on a separate – and it could potentially get out of sync as you're editing? Forget yeah. it. <laughs> no way. I mean, so, no, it, it's, it's – I, I think it's very easy. So – I can't encourage anyone to ever go back and try to learn these old techniques. Right. (laughs) Keep moving forward. Yeah. If anything, honestly, if there's anything, if you're like, dude, what's cutting edge, what's next? It's unreal. It's unity. Those engines, Mm -hmm. even though that they're predominantly video game stuff. Yeah. uh, The, the, do not dismiss virtual filmmaking. Mm. If you get a chance, I mean, Nerf is coming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nerf is, and people are going to be like, no, no, no. It's like, stop it. Just wait. <laughs> Just wait. Yeah. When, um, when Netflix released that Black Mirror episode where you got to decide, you know, what you were doing, I was like, if you add VR to this, I just feel like it's going to bring a whole new level to entertainment and being able to pick your ending whatever you want to do and to actually be inside that universe i kind of liken it to ready player one like it would literally turn into like a ready player one situation it's the potentials there oh yeah what we realized from that um bandersnatch i think it was the, yeah. the, the black mirror yeah when people click on their remote mm-hmm. they really because it's not like they've made 20 of those cents. It's true. Right? Right, it's true. Choose your own adventure thing. People are like, you know what? Dude, this is very passive. We, we, yeah. we want passive entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, 
um, Blumhouse has a division that's VR. Mm-hmm. It's very small, but like VR is going to give you that passive experience that still lets you open the left door or the right door. Right. right. Um, so you, you're right. I think we're in that place now where we just got to uncover what it's going to be. That's mm-hmm. right. And well, so that's where you guys come into play. You're like, all right, well, we've seen that. Like, do you want to go left or do you want to go, go right? Hold in a remote. Oh yeah. Just for whatever reason, people aren't down with that yet. Agreed. Yeah. Well, I want to talk, I want to talk because you know, you are one of the, one of the individuals who has had the, the luxury of going from the old school way of thinking and the film and converting and going into the new way and, and are on board with it. And, but I want to go back to one thing that you said when you were first learning, because I think it's so important that, that sometimes I feel like is being left behind now. And that story, right? As an editor, <laughs> story in films and television is critical, right? And if, if you're not telling the story, you're failing. And, and you know, we kind of joked about this before we started the interview about how people in your position, you can make or break a project like that. It can be the best acting and the best writing in the world, but an editor can tear that up or vice versa. An editor can make a horrible script and not so great acting look really good depending on how they put together the story. So talk to me about that and the importance of the storytelling aspect of film and television, because sometimes I feel like everybody's like the green screen and the blowups and the action and all, but you got to tell a story in between there somewhere, right? Well, you're, you're absolutely correct that these narratives are important and people are searching for these narratives. Yeah. Whether they come from superhero mythology or even uh, a narrative that's um, a scary film that you just want to go out on date night. Right. So here's, here, here's the thing to always sort of be mindful of. If you're a bad storyteller as an editor, it costs nothing for the production company to replace you. Mm. They're like, ah. We've done. We've given eight weeks to this person. They're not nailing it. We can bring in somebody else, as opposed to say a DP who, oh, eight weeks later, and half of this stuff's out of focus. That's a very, oh yeah, that's a different animal. Yeah. So an editor, you better have a sense of how to um, respect the director's sort of vision on the story. You, mm-hmm. you, the director is the lead on the story, and I say this sometimes that sometimes I'm a tourist. Sometimes I'm a guide Mm. and I have to just sort of recognize the room. Sometimes I'm just here for the journey. You tell me what you want and I'm going to help get you there. And it may be just as simple as changing the music Mm. to create that mood. So there's that part of it, you know, in the storytelling. But then there's this secondary part, which is sometimes the editors, and I don't mean to be dismissive of the profession, but sometimes editors will say, oh, we get the last rewrite. And that's nonsense. Mm -hmm. The writer is the writer. Take pride in the job you have and don't try to take the shine off of anyone else's job. Right. It's like, I'm here to not do the last rewrite. I'm here to sit there and make sure that like, that the story that was written, that I'm delivering it the way you intended or the way that we could. Some, some things may not work because guess what? It rained that day. Right. Yeah. You know, that scene just has to be deleted because it was raining and we got to find a way out of this hole. Mm-hmm. Right. So Megan is an example because that's a film that we're all sort of familiar with where we had three quarters of the movie complete done mm-hmm. edited. We had the whole movie done, but 
the last quarter, we had it done with post-vis and storyboards and stuff like that. We had we were going to have to do a pretty big VFX um, commit. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what Blumhouse does, and they're very, very smart about this, is they they are rigorous about bringing in outsiders who are both familiar with the industry and not familiar with the industry to watch it mm. and give feedback to make sure. So before we did this big money spend on the VFX for the ending, and we all liked it. We felt like, yeah, internally, this is what the script is. We've got it. The post viz looks good. But let's show three quarters of the movie and then stop for a test audience of who, who hadn't read the script. We took it to a, a real movie theater and we showed three quarters of the movie. And we said, all right, how do you guys think it'll end? The audience, first of all, was like, we love it up to this point. We want to see how it ends. Why are you doing this to us? This is a, this is a really um, bad thing to do to us. Right. <laughs> But we're like, hey, the popcorn and the pizza is free. So, <laughs> you know, you, you kind of know the deal. So the audience told us pretty clearly how they thought the movie should end. We asked them, how do you think it should end? Just just see what are we leading? And the audience was pretty clear that they wanted a very specific ending that was close, but it was not our ending. It was clear that... Um, our ending was not the one that they wanted. Yeah. So, and which at that point we knew that we had the contingency and we had the money for the VFX. Let's use that money to give them the ending that they wanted. Nice. So that's the storytelling. Whereas no matter how I was going to edit it, if the audience is really saying that you've done all this, um, essentially laying the breadcrumbs for this journey of a story, we would be most fulfilled with this. And it's a very, it was a very, and so we don't even have that. Other, like, you, there's no unrated version that has this other ending. But essentially, the other ending, the original ending, was that Allison Williams was going to be the hero of the movie who kills Megan. Mm-hmm. Oh. Right? And which, on every executive, filmmaking, Hollywood making, let the big movie star, the bigger movie star of this movie, be the one who has the heroic, I know that I did wrong, and certainly the DNA of Frankenstein is that Dr. Frankenstein wants to kill his creation. Right, so it right. just made sense. The audience was like, no, Katie is the, the little girl in this story is the <laughs> one who has to be the hero at the end. And they told us that we, we think that Katie should be the hero, they, not knowing what anything was. And so we're like, all right, that's an easy adjustment. Uh-huh. We can make that adjustment pretty easy, keep everything else the same, but shoot a little bit extra. Or shoot a little different. And so that's an example of storytelling as an editor where you have to be ready to pivot and help mm. the team when that comes down, when you get that note. Well, so, I absolutely love that, though, because I feel like, you know, within the industry, sometimes you, you get tunnel visioned a little bit. Not intentionally, but you just do. So this idea that there are people out there, and I think it's a brilliant idea, to bring outside eyes in and say, okay, we, we see it here, but, like, what do you see? What What's going on? That is fantastic. I, I wish that we would hear more people doing that because I think that's definitely the way to advance a little bit further with the storytelling is to say, okay, we all see it here, but let's see what's out here and how they see it because I think that's so critically important. I love that you shared that. Well, it's, it's a dangerous sort of thing because certainly – a director has spent three years developing. And oh, for sure. Right. For sure. And they feel very strongly that this is the ending. And fortunately, Gerard Johnstone, as our director, was open 
he was like, listen, I'm no dummy. <laughs> I, you know, like if people are telling me that this is what they want to feel satisfied, who am I to sit there and um, really try to throw down the gauntlet and say, no, this is the, whereas sometimes, you know, a, a director does have to have conviction that no, the audience thinks they want that, but we have to stick to our guns. Right. And sometimes you're like, dude, we don't have the budget to make that pivot. Right, right. Blumhouse is very, very smart. And it's it's better than going to, it. not to say that it's better than going to film school, but it is like going to grad school in the sense of they are um, academic about their process. Mm-hmm. And so it was really great that Blumhouse is like, listen, they did not force this change. They just told Gerard, like, what do you want to do? It was more like, or they asked, like, what do you want to do? You now have this information. We financially, we're good. We know that the movie works up to this point. We're going to be good. Do you want to be great? And Gerard's like, I want to be great. You're going (laughs) to give me a chance to achieve greatness? Then, yeah, I will take, I would love to, you know, any director is like, after three years, I want to be done with this. Right, exactly. I'm going to go on the money. I'm tired of looking at this. But Gerard's like, I will give another six months to make this the better version. And so, you know, Mm. teamwork makes the dream work. That's right. It really does. Because, I mean, we all, like, you know, we all have different opinions. We all think different ways. So to be able to put that out into the universe and to, you know, try to put the pieces together and see what works best. And I'm so curious, too, because working on bigger budget films, because we talk to a lot of people who work on a lot of indie stuff, trying to make it happen. Um, But at what phase are you brought in? Are you brought in in like pre-production and then like are able to see some stuff on set or how does that go about? So every 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 game is different. Yeah. You know, you start differently. The normal process is my next project is going to be a Blumhouse movie. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just going to go back because I had so much fun with them. In fact, For you sure. know, in the middle of when, when this whole um, sort of re-conceptualizing uh, this new ending mm-hmm. occurred, we had to sort of bring um, Megan just close the the window on it. Right. And Blumhouse was like, "You're not going anywhere, Jeff. We got another film for you." <laughs> yeah, and so I went and jumped onto that really quickly, which was a blast as well. And then came back to Megan. Okay, um, cool. But I have a film now that they're doing here. Um, they, they gave me a, a few scripts and they they have one coming up that's actually really good. And so right now the director is about five weeks out from shooting and about eight weeks ago, or I guess, yeah, maybe four weeks ago, he and I met, sat down and talked. We had a good meeting. And so I'm just like, send me any storyboards. I'll start putting them together for you, you know, if I can. You know, send me any test footage. He's out shooting some test footage on an iPhone just to see if this is going to work. I'm like, just send it to me. Dropbox it to me. It's, you know, it's not your actors. It's not this, that, or the other. And so in that example, yeah, the sooner I can start hearing what he's talking about or listening to her sort of say, I want to do X, Y, and Z, then then I know that, I can do that instead of trying to guess. Right, right. right. The more information, the better, right? Yeah. Megan was tricky, though, because mm. there was a little thing called COVID. Mm. And yeah. it, it rocked the industry. Mm-hmm. And one of the safest places on Earth to shoot a movie was the um, island of New Zealand. So Gerard's from New Zealand. Everything for Megan was shot in New Zealand. Oh, wow. And so, but you had to go in there, land on a um, military base, and stay quarantined for two weeks, mm-hmm. and um, and then they could shoot. Right. And you had, you know, the full vaccine, everything, you know, 
New Zealand had some very strict rules. Blumhouse called me and said, hey, do you want to go over there? And as soon as I was basically on the way to the airport, um, New Zealand shut down and said, no one else is coming. Wow, shit. You can't do it. Yeah. So I didn't meet Gerard for eight months. Oh, wow. We had to edit. Uh, yeah, for eight months, he and I were editing across Zoom. Oh, wow. Because this is how wild it is. New Zealand is a time zone that's two hours difference. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's tomorrow. <laughs> that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of these crazy things. So he had to trust that this guy that he didn't even know yeah. was working remotely in the States. But pretty quickly, um, we got along swell. You know, we, we, we part of the, you know, when I say you got to be the tourist and sometimes you got to be the guide, it's about just like, I'm here to just inspire confidence in the thing that, that you shot. You shot something here. It may never be in the movie, but let's just watch this fun moment in the dailies over and over again. Oh, yeah. Gosh, you yeah. did that. And I want you to be happy with it. Yeah. And for if you sure. find a way to put it in the movie, do that. But um, that is the role. And that wasn't always in my mind when I was younger. Right. When I was younger, you know, when you're first starting out, you're like, I just want to do a great job. And I want every one of these movies I do to be the greatest one ever. And here's how I see it when I read it. And so wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong, Because you have got to sit there and be like, hey, this person is the director. Right. Hear what they say. Mm -hmm. And make, make, make them happy and have fun along the way. And sometimes they're just looking for you. To you to show them something different. Right, right. Exactly. That different perspective. And I, you know, that I'm, I'm very curious too, because we're, like I said in the beginning, we are a film and television company. So we, you know, like to dive into the technic- technicalities of it. So what computer do you use? What software do you use? I'm so curious because like the rendering times and the exporting times, it's absolutely insane because i i can only imagine what it's like to actually do it for a film a feature length so what i mean i'm so curious well listen i you know i'm a big adobe after effects guy okay okay you know so i'll do after effects left right and center but if you're going to do a feature film i i I just avid's it yeah yeah Yeah. it's avid media composer because there are a couple key little things in there, particularly when it comes to trimming and when it comes to handling multiple versions. Right, right. Versioning is just miserable for me in Premiere. But that's it. Some people just like, I love Premiere. Yeah, yeah. And I get the attraction, so I'll jump in. If a director wants to do something sequentially in Premiere, I'll do it. It certainly has some great features as far as like handling proxies. Mm -hmm. But you want to do a movie... It's avid. Yeah. It's just it. Yeah. And you know what, quite frankly, and it's like, it's avid media composer. I got to be honest, like, I, I don't even think that they're, um, I just had to use one of their sort of avid ultimate recently, their mm-hmm. cloud-based version. I was just like, guys. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are we doing? What love are we it. doing? I love it. What are we doing? Because it's like, you know, like, but that, that's not to beat them up. It's just yeah. maybe I'm just that old guy. Who, who doesn't <laughs> yeah. But I don't think so because let me tell you, I'll jump into Unreal. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll 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 jump into After Effects. I you know I consider myself stronger in in After Effects than I am in Avid. Yeah, quite yeah. Frankly. You know, it, that's I, I made my bones in this sort of VFX main title design world. So nice. Um, 
I, I, I don't have any problem with that. It's, but it's, it's avid. And then, you know, certainly a film like Megan, it's not, you just make sure the dialogue's clear. Yeah. You know, people yeah. hear the dialogue. The trick with a film like that, you know what? The, you have to do an inverse filmmaking style. What people don't think about, uh, I certainly didn't think about this, is um, we had to, before you ever shot the movie, every line that Megan says, mm-hmm. anytime she's saying anything, you have to have an artist on the stage recording all her audio first. So before we even cast the movie, Gerard had already recorded these sound files so that the puppeteers can have the right. The, the, they're playing it back on set. Wow, that's amazing. That's how that works. Yeah, that's wow. That, yeah, so you're kind of you know in a weird way. It, it, there was you do the sort of uh, reverse in principle on that. Yeah, but we had there were three things to that. There's a puppet which requires puppeteers. Right, two or three people operating this. Wild device. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that on occasion is just mounted on a skateboard that you're sliding around. Oh, shit. <laughs> then, then you have a, a young actor who's wearing a Megan mask that on the very first day of filming, the kid's about to pass out because it's all latex. So they had to just cut these giant holes oh, in there and a giant yeah. mouth. It became Leatherface. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, you had to do a VFX like, okay, well, you know, that's, we're going to have to pivot. But the young woman's so great as an actor. Yeah, yeah. Her physicality, she she had a dance and a martial arts background. Yeah. So she was able to get the robotic movements and she was able to do the flips. She was able to do these stunts that eliminated the need for VFX. But then occasionally you would need a fully CG 3D model of Megan. Yeah. yeah. And you're working with all those elements in the cutting room. But it's still avid. Yeah. Yeah. I love, so I, I, I got to know, do you have, because you've worked on just all kinds of projects, all different types of stories and genres of movies. So do you have a favorite? Is there one that you'd like jump at if any given opportunity you're like, oh, this is the type I like to deal with? You know, it sounds silly. I, I've never really done a big comedy. Mm. And I think there's a reason, you know, I, I couldn't do that. Yeah. And okay. You know, I don't ever want to cross myself off the list of something. But when you see how these comedies work, where there's so much improv and so much take two and take three are not, that's a skill set. Yeah, I've right. seen these guys where it doesn't work because you get John C. Riley and Will Ferrell doing a scene. <laughs> right, right, right. And then Andy Samberg walks through and it's going to be improv and it's going to be funny. How do you know what's the funniest business? Right, right. So I don't, you know, it could read really funny. But I don't know that I'm that person. So that's the that cuts me out of that loop. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. You know, maybe I will do a comedy in the next year. For Who sure. Knows? Yeah, man. Everything's up in the air. And I'm also very curious, too. Um, you don't have to name the name, but what was the hardest film to edit? And what was the reason? Uh, here's the thing. When you sort the, the the hardest thing is when people have lost spirit. Mm. Yeah. And sometimes that just, that hits set. Yeah. For some time, you know, sometimes maybe someone in the weirdest way in their life are going through um, trying to improve themselves or they're going through a divorce or they're going through a loss. Right. And that could be one. There are so many things that can make a movie go off the rails. It just takes one little thing. Yeah. So the hardest thing is pulling that back. When when you, because guess what? After they've wrapped, 
everyone else is gone. And it's just you and the director looking at each other. And we've got the next 20 weeks of our lives trying to make this where it's, is it, is this going to work? So those are the challenges. If, um, because someone can be going through loss Mm -hmm, and for sure going through divorce and still be a professional and deliver. And sometimes that helps them. You know, I, I know of plenty of instances where there are actors who had a rough break and the work is what sort of gave them their sanity and it really helped the performance. Right. Um, so it's when somebody loses their spirit, whether it's the director, whether it's the production designer, someone losing spirit is the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. That's but a good I've been answer. fortunate, you know, I've been fortunate that it's worked out, you know, most of the time. Yeah. Most of the time it works out. Yeah. Well, I, I love it. I love just your energy, your yeah. passion for the craft, everything that you've done <laughs> and just everything about, I mean, I've, I'm excited. Like you, no, yeah, for sure. this conversation has made me like very excited and ready to go out and go shoot something. Yeah, like, that's right. <laughs> I'm just like, I that, can't. That, that's the trick is to keep that energy alive. Yeah. yeah it's fire. hard because man, you, there's a moment where it, it's usually around 3 PM for me where it starts to peter off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I've been very fortunate. Like, I have great assistants mm-hmm. that work with me. Many of them have gone on to um, have great careers, enviable careers yeah. as editors. But on um, this last film that I did, Megan, in Blumhouse, when I say that they have this ecosystem that's very sort of academic, where they're teaching you as you're working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the, the PAs on this show, we had two young women, Laura and Andrea. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm moving, you know, Andrea is now coming on to this next movie as my assistant editor. Because oh, my nice. assistant editor on Love Megan, it. we got him an additional editing credit. He's like, I want to go out into the world and edit. I want my own movie, you know. I've, I'm like, great, go yeah. get your thing. And so we're able to move up, you know, Andrea and Laura gets to then move up and, you know, to the apprentice editor spot. And wow, they're going to get to, you know, and so that enthusiasm is for like, I want to see if someone else succeeds. Yes. That didn't take, yes. that doesn't dull my shine. No, not at somebody all. Somebody else succeeded. That's right. Does that, how does that at all negatively impact me? So it's like, yes, have your success. Yeah. Please, please, because I want more people to go to theaters and see more movies and exactly. have this thing where they're, t- so sometimes, it wasn't always the case when I came to, there was a very competitive spirit. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. Oh man, for my movie to succeed, you have to fail. And I can't have, you can't have your first break until I've had my third. Right. That right. Doesn't work that way. Yeah. No, <laughs> but no. Does. But do not dull other people. Cause it's, it's not even cosmic. It's just common sense. That's right. Man, exactly. I, I got to tell you, th- this interview is invaluable for anybody thinking about trying to get into the industry or how do I do it? What's the right way and wrong way to do it? Because you two are definitely the right way to do it. You have a passion. You have a, you have a thrill for it. You do not have an ego that steps on anybody's way, including your own way. You are, you you want other people to succeed. You you. Everything you've said tonight is absolutely right. It's the way we think. We think it's the way everybody should think. And I think that's a reason that you've been so successful with where you've come from and what you've done. And while I think you're going to continue to succeed massively because of that, um, <laughs> you're, you're an absolute gem, man. And I wish well, that there were more people like you, truly, because I think it you was are. a journey, though. 
Well, yeah, it always start, is. I, That's right. I, I wasn't 26 years old no. with this very sort of uh, Alan Watts Zen attitude. Oh, yeah. No, no. Yeah. You know, when you're 26, it's like, holy shit, you're trying to really figure it all out. That's yeah. right. And you don't know. But it's only after seeing like what works and everyone thinks either you got to be the hammer or the nail. And it's like, dude, no, be the paintbrush. There, like, just, there you go. There you go. Be there. So that that's the world I want to live in now. And it's and it's helped um and it's come across in the past, um, I would say in the past eight years. When you know what it was, truly, there's a moment, and it happens with all creative people, where you you turn from like, I don't know if I'm any good at this, to like, I think I can do this. Yeah. Right. And it takes it takes about that, you know, ten thousand hours of like really doing it and being like. Yeah, I can kind of do this. I mean, I do it the best, but I can, I can, what, what, knowing what your weaknesses are, I'll mm-hmm. tell you, man, like, I, I'm not the best at music. Right. I enjoy working with music. We all think, but it's like, if you have an idea for music, an example certainly is in, in Megan. When I first got Megan, uh, the music I was using was stuff that you would, um, think from ex machina and oh. very i thought digitally sounding right and, right and so, gerard's like no we're doing 90s old school chris young with strings and <laughs> hell orchestral. yeah my i'm like what is this guy talking about <laughs> but that's what we ended up with sure the audiences love the, the, even the studio's like um are you sure about that it's like let's test it that, that's not the, the audiences loved hearing that old school throwback sound yeah. oh yeah horror strings that weren't synthy yeah yeah and so great you know it's it's easy for me to want to do that so also knowing where your where your deficit is mm, smart yeah. that's great you know, advice I need, I need help i need yeah. help. tell me what do you think what's the music guess what we got spotify the director a good director is going to be like here i'm going to build you a list on spotify yeah <laughs> Fantastic. And it, it, yeah. you got a playlist and you're working off that. And you're listening. You're like, all right, I'm feeling you now. Okay. That's oh my the, goodness. So, that but is... no, I, I don't want it to ever appear that like I came into this world, uh, you know, barefoot and woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh no, man. You know, it, it only comes from sometimes being like, you know what? That, that wasn't a, um, that wasn't a successful operation because of, um, the mentality that you brought to it. Right. So, right. You know, I, yeah. I, it, it, I feel comfortable. Like, yeah, I know what movies I like. The ones that I, you know, when you ask what I want to work on, it's like cars that go fast is always fun. Yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. Hell yeah. You know, yeah. like uh, th- th- those movies seem to be just like, Oh yeah. Certainly things that involve um, found money or, you know, but, you know, like th- those are interesting, you know, we're always sort of drawn to those. I'm getting less and less interested in um, having too many people get shot in a film. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, yep. all right, that, that's just, it's it, it on some levels, just such an easy trope, but early on. Yeah. You know, like I did an underworld movie where Kate Beckinsale's blowing the snot out of everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Vampires, werewolves, everything. And it was the blast. It was in 3d, you know, it was when 3d had its moment. Oh um, yeah. Oh yeah. The, yeah. I don't know, 10th time around. I guess we're at our 12th time around on 3D. Maybe That's I'll right. This time <laughs> That's <around>. right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, listen, man, thank you so much for coming on the show and just getting Anytime, a little crazy guys. with us. Yeah, like I was about to say, I mean, you're welcome back 
anytime. Oh, absolutely, like, dude. It, it's an open invite whenever you just want to come on and shoot the shit. Like we have, right. uh, we have a top five segment uh, that we do, like top five horror films, top five, you know, films that should have been TV shows, different <laughs> things like that, um, so that you could come back on and have a little fun. But listen, thank you so much again. Like this was an I, absolute I appreciate joy. you guys even reaching out. Of oh, course, great. dude. Dude, it's fantastic. Fellow 80s dude, man, and broadcast journalism, sports guy. Like, yeah, you're all in, dude. You're like, you fit yeah. right in with us, man. It's fantastic. Good. Well, yeah, and you guys are both North Carolina, right? But you're thinking of going to New Orleans? Oh, uh, yes. yeah. So, so yeah, I spent the majority of my life in New Orleans, so it's kind of a return uh-huh. for me. But, uh, yeah, so we're excited about it, though. There, there is a huge filmmaking infrastructure down there in New there Orleans. There sure is. There sure is, and they hit a little bump for a little bit, but they're they're surging back really quick. And yeah, it's they're fantastic. They and really the, are. The challenge down there is like trying to find crew sometimes. Yep. Yeah. Um, That's exactly I, right. I, you know, I've done my time there twice. Where you, you know, being on location. And I think I told you walking through the uh, the theme park. Yep. Yeah. You oh get a man. Chance, man. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, if you have a good idea for a horror film, that's it. Like for sure. Shoot sure. a little short and you know, bring it out to LA and start showing it around town. That's you know, right, man. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I well, love listen, it. dude. Take care. Have a fantastic rest of the time. We're gonna have to have you back on. You sounded super excited about this next film you're working on. So when it gets there, we're gonna have to have you back on to talk about. Yeah, it. I, you know, it's Blumhouse. Like, yeah. It'll be, <laughs> like, it, it, the, the pieces are coming together, and it's it's an original thing. The directors. Um, a first-time director from AFI, nice. his AFI okay. thesis is what got him sort of noticed. And Fantastic. the trick is his AFI thesis was in 2014. Movie will come out in 2024. Sometimes that's how long it takes to yeah. get the movie made. Exactly, exactly. And that's what we want to talk more about, too, in further episodes. And we try to talk yeah. about in our industry news is, like, you know, it's not always – a six month year process. Like no. sometimes it takes 10 plus years to get one film off the ground. Yeah. <laughs> you can't microwave it. No, you can't. Can't. <laughs> Gerard, he did three years on just developing Megan. Yep. When wow. they approached him on Megan, just because, just COVID, because. Oh, yeah. we're going to shoot in Canada. No, we can't shoot in Canada because gonna. so we, we got to start over again in New Zealand. That adds another eight months. Actors yeah. fall out. Hell yeah. Oh, so Dude. anytime, guys, you know how to get a hold of me. Yes, sir. Wishing you all the best. All right. Oh, Thank appreciate you. it, we man. Appreciate it. Have a great rest of your night and we'll talk to you soon, brother. Thank you so much. All Take right. care. Right. Bye. Man. Oh, man. What an interview i love this guy from start to finish <laughs> seriously uh, anybody you know my old ass so anybody that opens the interview and says i'm an 80s guy yeah <laughs> uh, so but just his enthusiasm i don't know about you i, I kept looking over at you i, I couldn't stop smiling couldn't the either. whole interview he, yeah. he was so passionate you just lit up whatever yeah. you uh, oh dude well it. i mean that's the definition of someone who is passionate about their craft yeah and like yeah i said it in the interview but like i haven't felt that low level of excitement since we went to the academy museum out in los angeles like yeah just the way he was describing everything i he is so like infatuated with filmmaking right that's what it's all about that's what you need to have to be a filmmaker and understanding the journey yeah i think you know some of the most valuable stuff he said is know who you are know where your weaknesses are know where your strengths are don't have that ego Help other people. Don't dull the shine. All of that is like, that's how you succeed in this industry, man. Oh, my gosh. So so damn good. good. (laughs) So good. Thank you again, Jeff, for coming on the show.